welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. Welcome to the Out of the Park podcast produced here through the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am the Reverend Dr. Mike Hegeman, uh, the Associate Director for the Park Center. We are focusing on film, a focus on film for a few weeks here in the summer. As we tell our stories and shape them with visual components, we seek to captivate, to educate, and to enter into a world beyond ourselves. And I think that these these aspects of film uh, can lend us a, a, an inroad into our theological discussions and our presentation of the larger story of faith and how we do that. We are this week talking about the movie E.T. And this was a movie that came out 41 years ago. It was quite the phenomenon and I and I knew immediately why when I watched that film. We have with us today uh, Nate Smith who is our uh, communications associate for the Park Center and uh, he's got a special interest himself in film and so he's going to guide us help guide us through a conversation about ET. So Nate, thank you for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. So ET and the question is why? Why have you chosen ET for us to focus on this week? Ooh, well, you know, ET for me is more than just a movie. I really felt from the very from a very young age when I when first seeing it, probably around kindergarten, um, it was a spiritual experience. Um, it was something that transformed me so young into really recognizing the significance and the power of art um, and its transcendence, um, its, its meanings that can be extracted, um, and how art can be a tool uh, as a way of really understanding human existence uh, and experience. Let's take a a step back a bit and talk about, when you talk about artists, uh, there is an artist behind this film, uh, more than one, of course, but we have one guiding vision behind this, and that is Mr. Steven Spielberg. Mr. Steven Spielberg, right. And so when this film uh, became the largest grossing film uh, to that point in 1982 uh, and held that title for 11 years until Spielberg's next big film was (laughs) Jurassic Park, and so between the arc of let's say the movie Jaws and the movie Jurassic Park you know here so here's a high point in uh, in his ma- many high points in his career but how do you see what point in Spielberg's artistic development do you would you place ET oh i think ET and Spielberg might disagree with me and he has every right to be it feels the most personal um, and I think art should be personal. I, I feel like that's a way we can connect the best when we have a fellow human being um, pouring himself into a film um, that uh, um, that explores um, such shared themes of humanity. I, I think there's a certain point in which you can relate uh, to the artist himself. And I, I feel like it's a film you can get to know the artist just by watching it. Uh, E.T. was built around uh, his childhood. Uh, I didn't know this until fairly recently. I learned something new every time I watch this film, and I'm, I'm probably watch it once a year. So what was it, 41 years ago, you said? Well, I probably watched it more than 41 times at this point. But every time I find something new, and what I found most recently was that E.T. Was, um, was a fabric of Spielberg's imagination, of course, on script. But as a child, 
it was an imaginary friend he created as a coping mechanism um, through his struggles and his uh, his family dynamic, uh, his parents being divorced. That's very that's very common knowledge at this point that Spielberg deals with a lot of family drama in his movies, um, kind of stemming from his own growing up uh, as a way of understanding his parents, as a way of understanding the world around him. Um, so I thought that was really neat uh, how how even more personal it was than I thought it was. Interesting. I didn't know that about about this being some aspect of his own childhood, and especially interesting since uh, the movie Fablemans came out. Uh, the, the, was it this spring or last fall? Last fall, last yes, fall. yes, made the Oscars yeah, which, this spring. Which is another embodiment of his childhood and growing up, but that E.T. Uh, becomes a universal story in many ways, even though it's the product of some of experiences he had, he himself had, that it's there's uh, something universal about that film. So let's take a mm-hmm. moment back just to remind everybody a little bit about the plot line we have. We have the very beginning scene. We have this uh, clear sense of these alien figures mm-hmm. uh, coming here, uh, exploring, looking around, looking mm-hmm. at plants, and then um, and then one one of these aliens gets a little farther afield. And Spoiler: His name is E.T. It's about your right, yeah, E.T. and extraterrestrial, and the um. Then the the government vehicles come racing in. This is very. There's lots of drama right at the beginning of John the film. John Williams' amazing score oh, swells yeah, up. No, well, you got to you're getting there a little ahead of me on the score. <laughs> That's great. We, we definitely want to talk about that. And then then this ET his colleagues are rushed back to the ship and off they go, leaving him behind. And so this sets the premise for the whole film, right? Mm-hmm. The sense of there is somebody who is disconnected. Uh, I mean, lost on the journey. And mm-hmm. so in human history, at least in Western literature that I know, we, we can point back to stories like the Odyssey and the Iliad. We can talk about these epic journeys in which people have these sense of separation from colleagues, uh, making and making establishing new relationships, uh, a sense of but being lost on the journey. And so there there is these I mean, on the level of mythic. Uh, E.T. goes right to the core of that kind right of to m- the, the mythopoetic, as we say, that it's a big story. Getting rid of all my fancy words, it's a big story. It's epic. Yeah, it's epic. epic. At a two-hour length, not four hours, it's still an epic piece of work. Right, and yet, as you said earlier, it's personal. Very and personal. I don't think, yeah. uh, I know when I saw this film in 1982, I wept deeply at this film, I mean, during the film, and I, 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 I cry, every, weep every time I see this film. Every time I see it. And so, I... what would you identify as the, because it's, what is Spielberg able to achieve that audience have this kind of response? Oh, gosh, commonality. Commonality. I think at the very core, like you said, uh, loneliness. Um, uh, wanting to connect, wanting to find meaning outside of ourselves. Uh, that is just so well encapsulated in the story of E.T., the idea of something so otherworldly coming into our existence and, 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 un, and finding an understanding, uh, a commonality, um, something that takes us out of our own element uh, and help us under, help us, helps us understand uh, more deeply uh, what it means uh, to be alive. Um, what life means, what death means, uh, what resurrection means. I mean, I can be so bold as to drop that R word here because it is so prominent in E.T. And I don't know if I realize that until maybe my 10th or <laughs> my 10th viewing or so, uh, how, how prominently spiritual it is. Um, and you can go into saying, well, Spielberg can't necessarily have intended that. Well, I just think it's such an innate thing that I think it just poured out anyway. I, whether he intended it to be um, a reflection of Christ's journey, 
uh, or not. I feel like it was just so there. Uh, it, it's probably um, it probably is the greatest story ever told, and right. it probably is the most pure story ever told. And I think every story is built off of that, whether we know it or not. There, there is certainly an, an embodiment in this one example of these, this greater story of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Spielberg is so artful in being able to set these the tension, and you almost like one of those tensive things is to in some ways, not see the faces of these looming figures. The, the government becomes the looming figure, right? The Whatever, it's FBI or if it's the Secret Service. or I mean, there's this, this kind of shadow side of, of the humanity which represents those trying to create, uh, keep and maintain order and security and safety, and yet they come across as menacing you know, throughout the film. And, and so it's, it's so interesting how the menacing is portrayed. I, I, I was sitting there with my wife watching E.T. for the 41st time last night, and uh, I noticed I, I, I'd taken key interest, no pun intended, into the use of keys, uh, the jiggling of the keys uh, with a lead uh, uh, scientist slash investigator trying to, you know, hot on E.T.'s trail um, uh, for scientific uh, exploration purposes. And uh, you hear the jiggling of the keys, and it's almost like your heart races because you know who it is. And it's such a subtle use of sound and close-ups that you're building this menacing character before you see his face. And when you do see his face, guess what? It's human. Mm. It is probably the most human-looking figure in the entire movie, and it's like, why were we so scared? And it was sort of like looking into a mirror. <laughs> well, and that's the great shift that uh, Spielberg's able to achieve. It's, that it's not the aliens who are the menacing figures. It becomes humanity who is, who is, uh, who is menacing in this way. Mm-hmm. And yet, as you say, a mirror for ourselves. You know, sure. what, the what? persecution that took place, you know, the idea with E.T., you know, that, the fact that, you know, in, this, in the search for explanation, um, as, as much like the time of Christ, Christ was persecuted and as he was misunderstood, just like E.T. was. I just thought that was such, an, such a prominent theme as well. Directors like Alfred Hitchcock were able to achieve why they're, the mastery of these films is the is the psychological level at which mm. he's able that the use to use the human imagination to create the fear right and so we know this he says you don't reveal too much you don't show too much and so Spielberg picks up on that thread uh, or that way of of, of producing and, and telling a story is that he uses allows our imagination. You know, there's we don't oh we don't see E.T. first. We don't see everything. There's always a slower reveal, and that allows our Correct. imagination to work. And I think one of the most powerful things then about the film, though, is the is how human dignity, how human kindness and compassion, even human uh, fortitude, like these young children, then embody what the what the adults should. The ideals of humanity are bodied in the children and the young people that the the adults fall f- short of, right? Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. s- we see this a lot of we see this in Disney films. We see this is where the the young people become you know be kind of lead the way. They do. Uh, it's a, they're a blank canvas. Right. There's a sense of innocence that hasn't been interfered with yet, right. uh, yeah. and I think we can work off that. I think artists work off that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so he brings us along using our imagination and using and helping us with the you know that that core aspect of empathy. We empathize not only with the children in this story, you know, we're siding, we're rooting for them, but ultimately we're rooting for this, this, this figure, this alien in our midst. And so that's a sense of, we have this deep sense of compassion 
uh, it's a gut wrenching story. I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, we we go high, we go low, <laughs> and and as you say, there is this theme of of redemption, resurrection, transformation, and hope. What do you? Uh, so before I talk too much more, uh, what would you say is most hopeful about this film? Well, one of the things I, I recently caught, and it was in front of me the entire time, was the use of a rainbow. When the ship takes off, and I don't want to spoil too much, but I guess I kind of have to because I'm just going to be under the assumption that most people listening to this have seen this magic film. And I implore you to revisit if you haven't seen it recently. So you'll pick up uh, stuff to, uh, along the way as, as much as I have. Is the use of the rainbow at the very end. When, uh, when the ship takes off, it leaves this picturesque vision of hope. As 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 God did with a rainbow after after Noah's Ark. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind of every kind on the earth. And that's Genesis 9:16, and that's just so prominent in that just short short visual piece uh, near the end of ET. And looking to the way that this one story is shaped, both in the very particular. I mean, there is no other. There is no other story told just like this, you know, in the sense of E.T. has its very has its distinctiveness, right? And uh, and yet it taps into a universal story, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's the power of any film that says allows us to enter into the story and to see ourselves, to be challenged to saying are we, are we are we who are we as human beings? And that's you know just stepping back. Science fiction films are never a really truly about space or aliens. <laughs> Every alien story is a, some aspect of humanity. You know it all too well. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so this is a sense of the explorer in our midst, mm-hmm. uh, tends to, and also turns out to be the most compassionate, mm-hmm. and comes out to be something ver- a very human ideal mm-hmm. as one that we can see even in the early 1980s. A sense of those who are interested in preserving uh, creation. Right, these these are botanists Absolutely. Uh, going about trying to preserve, uh, pl- you know, plant life and other kinds of life forms. But if we look at that, these are ones who are interested in uh, restoration and recovery, Absolutely. recovery of creation. Yes, well. there's a big, big spiritual message about uh, being good stewards mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, to God's creation. Uh, uh, the use of the plant, the flower in ET, is just it's just a perfect example how it blossoms and how it can die. Mm-hmm. If if not given the proper respect right. and care, and this is the symbol at the point of, you know, we we as the as the viewers we we enter into we enter into the death of of the, of E. T. and the sign or symbol of his quote unquote resurrection pending resurrection is the the blossoming of a flower. I mean again, or the plant the plant coming exactly. back to life. And so, exactly. you know that we as we as people of Christian faith we. We might experience the film differently from others, and uh, but just saying that there isn't all the, the, these universal themes are there. We might, as we have our we have our Jesus glasses on sometimes, and, and the lenses we look through is that we look mm-hmm. to see. We might look to see the Jesus story there, and um, that doesn't mean that the story is no less powerful for those mm-hmm. who do not have such lenses of, uh, to interpret it that mm-hmm. way. But because you say there's much, there's a greater universal story of. Uh, loss and redemption, alienation to community, and uh, signs and symbols of hope. 
Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, many lives are changed in the process. Absolutely. And some of the best art is one that can be revisited and seen through a different lens every time. You know, I don't feel like I look at a painting the same way Mm -hmm. um, I did 10 years prior, et cetera, et cetera. There is something about E.T. that you can approach it at any point in your life and extrapolate uh, some inner meaning that you just didn't quite see before. Um, Even last night, I mean... It's it's so interesting um, how how we're so drawn as a culture this day to the magic of childhood, um, and I think it has to do with the times. I think it has to do with a lot of factors, um, but this this feeling of this need of nostalgia, what was um, uh, this need of going back? You know, remember when? You know, you see it in you've seen it in, in in movies today. We're constantly rebooting things that we grew up with and remaking them and. It's it's a sense in which the very core of art needed needed to include some mystery, and we're stripping a lot of art away from it this day. There's a sense in which we need to know too much, like you said so well. Just the subtle reveals uh, through E.T. and 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 how Hitchcock uh, utilized that tool so well. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a lost art this day, as you have so many prequels, you know, things that you know we need to know the origin story of such of said superhero. I never thought you had to. I always thought it was just so much better how I had it in my head and, and, and how much more relatable the characters were in that, in that regard. But as soon as you reveal too much, you're finding more and more not to relate to. I think that's why I'm, I'm, I'm glad, hadn't thought about to this moment, that there was never a sequel to E.T. Oh, my word. And it, actually, interesting story, um, there kind of was. Um, there was a Christmas commercial that came out two years ago that was considered an official sequel to E.T. because they said, let's make it short, let's make it sweet. And it was all about a reunion between Elliot as an adult and his estranged alien friend E.T., E.T. coming back and them sharing a Christmas Eve together. Uh, Henry Thomas, of course, playing uh, Elliot, is now a grown adult and has been in a lot of a lot of miniseries lately, uh, a lot of uh, things on Netflix. If you haven't caught Midnight Mass or The Haunting on Hell House, I highly recommend. There's a lot of things to um, see in those pictures as well, spiritually. But Henry Thomas carries the weight of those shows so well. And even as, an, as a kid, it's a wonderful child actor. Uh, but seeing him as an adult, uh, just just one one last time, you know, shooting the breeze with his uh, childhood BFF, E.T., it was such a touching commercial. Now, the funny thing is I could not tell you what this commercial was for. <laughs> it could have been, a, it could have been a, a phone commercial. It probably was, um, but it was considered an official sequel to E.T. All right, well, uh, you know, just the kept catching that one glimpse, you know, that's kind of helps us. We stay in the story. We, get, we revisit the story in a certain way. And like you said, a lot of nostalgia in that. And that's uh, really why, you know, here you've chosen, you know, we're, we're having a film series this summer uh, here through the Park Center, and we, to to choose, I was really actually surprised that you chose E.T., but not unhappy about that, but just sense of why 41 years later that this story can still have some, have great impact, and for young people and for people of any age. And one of the things you mentioned is the, is the magic, and that's, I look at Spielberg, and I see that that's, that's something that he really. Uh, why? Why do you? I'll turn it over to you. That sense of the magical, the mystical, the whimsical. I mean, using that in, in the most positive term I can, way I can, just saying that there's something captivating about all that. But why do you think? What do you think that Spielberg is doing with kind of magical moments in in his films? I think there's a sense in which an artist knows what isn't there. Um, I think there's a sense in which they can kind of fill the gaps with their canvas. 
I don't think Spoberg had a childhood. I think he he was in a position where he grew up so fast uh, because he had to. He had to care for his other siblings through the divorce, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's not to say he, he didn't have his childhood moments uh, that defined him. But I think there's a sense in which he looked back and he saw gaps. And I think through writing and through his, his imagination and his, his amazing, amazing artistry and storytelling skills, he's able to kind of fill the blanks. I did promise to come back and talk about the score, the musical score, which oh, to me yeah. uh, already Spiel, uh, John Williams had uh, made a name for himself, you know, beside, you know, beside an adventure, but then coming up to, especially to Jaws and Star Wars, but then by the time we get into by the time we get to ET he's a known he's a known figure sure. and yet this the score to this is transportative as the storyline itself has there ever been a better team than Spielberg and John Williams i mean john williams just carries the weight of the story and i say carry and i use that um um punctuated because it it he really he really just punctuates the story um he, you know it doesn't overwhelm uh, the visuals of the story. I, I, the, the, the moment that gets me um, is the very last frame uh, and, uh, and a, a series of images at the end of the film as it's coming to a close. And the audience knows it's coming to a close and they know it because of John Williams' score. It's this sense of wonder and it just ends on this heavy note at the very end and it just cuts to black. It lets you go. It carries you and it just lets you fly right into the credits. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I haven't experienced uh, an end frame quite like I have E.T. It tells the story and it knows exactly, exactly when to end with that nice. final bomb, 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 yeah. black. It's right. just perfection. The fact that he's still around. Mm-hmm. It's funny, my wife asked me who John Williams was the other day. Um, she's not a film buff like I am. Um, and I said, have you ever seen any movie ever? <laughs> <laughs> John Williams probably did the music for that. And right. it's and it amazes me. There are films that I forget that he did the score for, 100%. And he's just he's still with us, thank, thank God for that. And he's just a modern-day Mozart when it comes to his, his work with cinema scoring. Right. One of the things that I... Even just now thinking about it, it's like how distinctive the E.T. theme is. Just this little theme. Dee-da-da-dee-dum. Right? Mm-hmm. right? There's this, there's this, mm-hmm. there's this um, uh, whether I've sung that or not, or right. But in that, what I'm just now realizing, what's so powerful about that is that there's something distinctive in that, just those four or five notes. Yes. There is an altered note in the scale. It's a sharp, right? That means, what have you known any musical? Mm-hmm. There is an altered note in the scale, which means, I'm just, this is just dawning on me, there is an alien note in that theme, which then makes it, that makes it so, so distinctive. And so mm-hmm. the sense of, as we have the E.T. in the film, there is this altered note in that melody, which gives it its power and impact. And so the strange, like that note, that uh, is a, is a stranger you know in the in the tale of that melody and oh, so yeah. i just that's beautifully that put would, Mike. Right, yeah. beautifully put yes and so we have this this sense of the alien in our midst mm-hmm. the stranger in our midst there are biblical stories based around this you know even christ mm-hmm. himself becomes the stranger after in his re- post resurrection moment he's walking along with those two two disciples that don't know who he is they don't know who this is they're walking along and there is a moment 
much in, later down the road when they're breaking bread when Christ is revealed. And I can almost imagine the John Williams score huh. or melody right at that moment that takes you saying not only the revelation of it, but the sense of that the alien in the midst becomes the the best friend. And that's that's a sense that. of the, that, that uh, John Williams melody hmm. with its alien note in the midst of it. Um, that that becomes so recognizable as the friend. Mm-hmm. And so there's something, I mean, just... Oh, it's just, a character in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, it tells definitely. a story just through the theme. And I, and going off that, there's a moment in that in that theme that it dips down, and you can speak more music language uh, than I can, um, where there's this kind of this, it goes, you know, and it's this looming undertone that starts, and it's mm. sort of like the marriage is something so wonderful and spiritual and something so grounded and human and right. maybe kind of ugly. And and even primal. Which primal, is then, yeah. That is the power, too, of John, what any film composer or actually orchestral composer does is they know how to tap into uh the i mean here i'm going a little bit too far but primal sense of consciousness in there like there's a deep knowing and that's what uh, richard strauss or others there's so many that that kind of tap into a deeper story Mm. and that's what's so uh, on the unconscious level there's so much going on in a film like et that is the the mastery of the artistry of different artists coming together to create the story and to create this moment even though we do have the moment captured on film mm-hmm. we can revisit that and still be in wonder you know there's few films like et mike where i it is flawless um it is a perfect movie i've gone back from multiple standpoints aesthetically uh, uh script structure etc uh, etc et uh, and i can't seem to find a mistake tell the story about one mistake somebody made uh, in relation to this film, it has to do with Reese's, <laughs> well, with, with Reese's Pieces. <laughs> yes, it does. Reese's Pieces, as we know it today, probably would not be Reese's Pieces. It might, in fact, been taken off the shelves, um, as we know it, because um, the script was passed to uh, the M&M Company uh, as a way of getting some endorsement. Um, and, of course, through that process, it goes through a marketing team. The marketing team looks and reviews the scripts, and they say, well, do we want our name attached to that? Do we not? Um, those who have not seen the film, uh, Reese's Pieces plays a kind of a character in that it, 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 it helps the relationship between Elliot and E.T. Bond. They bond over this candy, uh, this hard-shelled or, you know, a soft-shelled uh, uh, candy, Reese's Pieces. What well, was originally supposed to be M&M's, M&M read the script and passed. They said, this is ridiculous. You know, I, I don't know quite what the reasoning was. I often think about that guy who passed on the script and what he's doing now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hope he's doing well, but I hope he's learned from this mistake because it was a big one. Um, so as soon as M&M passed, uh, they went to Reese's and they said, can we do something like like M&M's? And uh, they did. And uh, and it's shown in the film. And uh, well, both E.T. and Reese's are doing very well They're for doing themselves. Quite well. And so that, too, is a little bit of a sense of a universal story, mm-hmm. you know. Gosh, my goodness, somebody's going to groan when I say this. But uh, when we talk about Christ, we say the the cornerstone uh, that has been rejected. No, 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 the one, the stone that's been rejected has become the chief cornerstone, right? Okay, right. Yeah, in that sense yeah. of a sense of uh, that which was bypassed actually became quite crucial. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, forgive me for that allusion. I don't want to draw too close an allusion to that. But there is something universal about that story. And yes, we yes. would hope always for something redemptive to happen in the midst of oh, that. Of course. Well, I mean, well. art imitates life, uh, uh, right. any which way you look at it. Yeah. 
So again, this is just in so many ways a teaser to kind of revisit the film mm-hmm. and to to have not only deep thoughts about a film, but just to experience it with the wonder and joy of a child. Absolutely. And, uh, this has been a wonderful discussion, Mike. Thank you. And I hope all of you uh, enjoyed the film and uh, took something from it uh, and uh, continue to revisit it because it's, uh, it's well worth it. So one of the things I just noticed as we were talking about the, you know, the letters E.T. for extraterrestrial, um, they also make they're also the first and last letters in the name Elliot. And so oh I just never noticed that until <laughs> they just occurred to me now. So there's also all kinds of little hidden things in this film. And so you prove my point, Mike. Watching movies together as a communal experience, you can have these these points of dialogue and learn so much more and, and just enriches the experience. And film isn't just escapism. It's engagement. It's engagement with the art itself and it's engagement with each other as, as human beings. Absolutely. Well, join us again for the Out of the Park podcast. Uh, coming soon. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.